Cincinnati Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, how's it going, buddy? Contrary to popular belief, it is still a great day to be a Bearcat basketball fan. I know the sky seems like it's falling in Cincinnati. I know that you can hear the locusts outside. The rivers are running red with blood. But guys, I can tell you there are some positives to take away from this game. And we're going to discuss some positive. We're going to get into some negatives, some reactions. Uh, I'm really excited to be here with Coomer to discuss these. And hopefully no one threw the remote through the TV. Uh, I've definitely gotten some of the sense of that on Twitter. <laughs> Everybody take a step back. Step off the yes. ledge. Take a deep breath. Join us as we react to a very interesting basketball game that just occurred between the Cincinnati Bearcats and Ohio State Buckeyes. With the exact same score as last year, the Ohio State Buckeyes have defeated the Cincinnati Bearcats 64-56 to this time on their home court, and boy, is there a lot of meat on this bone. Hummer, this game was a... It put me in a glass case of emotions. I gotta be honest. I'm in a glass case of emotion! I was incredibly nervous, excited. I, I had pent-up energy at tip Don't you call that jacked? You call that jacked, jacked, right? I was jacked for this <laughs> game, and... I think the way we do this, Hummer, it is a reaction podcast. I want to keep it raw in terms of how we were feeling about what we saw on the court today, how we're feeling moving forward, what we can learn and take from this game. But let's start with the first half. I thought this game was, a more, more than usual, a tale of two very distinct halves. So let's talk about, in the first half in particular, a half that started off with the Ohio State Buckeyes not scoring a point for nearly eight minutes into the game. What did you see in that first half that you liked, that you didn't like? Any, any, anywhere you want to take this? Well, look, and, and first off, let's, let's keep this in mind as we're talking about this game and, and this particular reactions here. Ohio State is a very good basketball team. I think Ken Palm at their ratings had them at an 11 to start the season. This team is probably one that will finish within the top 10. They're probably looking at a two or three seed. So let's keep that in mind when we talk about this and let's yes. keep this, you know, not in a vacuum here. Let's, let's look at the big picture. How so dare you ask us to consider context? No con. Yeah, no context. Let's throw all contacts out the window. Let's jump off the bridge, right? <laughs> let's go. Everybody grab your little green hat. We're going straight through the quad into the gymnasium. Off the bridges. Let's go. Through the quad and into the gymnasium. Come on, everybody. Come on. So first thing that sticks off to my mind is we held a very good team to very low scoring, very low shooting percentage first half. The defense looked good. I don't think this team is missing a beat on defense. That's I think I think everybody agreed watching that. May not, not have made all. you happy. May not have made you happy watching it because we were talking about the other side. Well, and, but offense. on the defensive side, I mean, we we lost a coach who's renowned for his defensive prowess. We routinely had amazing yeah. defensive squads, and I think we naturally maybe expected to take a drop a step back there. John Brandon's team looked awesome on defense in the first half. Mm -hmm. The switches were tight. We had, we had tons of uh, buzzword deflections. 
Uh, the hands were active. I really liked what we what we saw. I thought the contesting was good. We had a few kills. In the, in the, in the, <laughs> on, the on the on the defensive side of the ball, I was ecstatic with what we saw. the The effort and intensity was awesome. On the offensive side of the ball, what'd you see? We definitely ran a different offense. Uh, we definitely ran. Uh, as much as you know, we want to use another buzzword here up tempo. You know, I think the scheme that they were running, they were trying, we got some open looks. We didn't hit them. I wanted to chalk it up as the first half of being jitters. You know, I know a lot of these players have been here for a while, so they've been in these environments, but there's some players who, you know, not for nothing. You know, I, I want to say that obviously Zach Harvey being a freshman, um, Jason roll, not really been in this type of environment, so to speak, or Chris Vogt having not been in this this type of environment. Basically, anybody who came from not... I, I look at Cincinnati as a program that we're a top 15 program over the history of this of being around. Our history, we're, we're in the top 15. This is a program with history. We play big games. We play in big atmospheres day in and day out. And so I think maybe there's a little jitters there. I saw a lot of missed opportunities in the first half. There were. But I saw a lot of good good things that came from it. I, to me, in the first half is where you could see a clear difference in how John Brandon envisions this offense running versus how Mick Cronin ran it for the past you know 10-plus years. Given, you know, I'll give Mick some leeway and say there has been some evolution over, the, over his 13 years at UC, but in large part, he was a very deliberate offense. We want low turnovers, and therefore we don't want a ton of creativity. I want to micromanage uh, how we're going to run sets. John Brandon's team came out, and, we're, and we were making very decisive passes. There were It was a much faster pace in terms of how we were trying to execute on offense. The problem was, you can tell this is not a natural style of play for the players we currently have on the team. Uh, the, the way the players looked in executing this offense was very forced and deliberate. I saw the effort to make the right pass. I saw the effort to make the right cut. But the decision-making isn't quite on, on track yet with the cuts that are being made and the passes being made. And I know that might sound, I hope that doesn't sound too vague, but it just seemed there was a lot no, of tension. No, it doesn't. There was a lot you, of tension you, in terms of, in terms of uh, how they tried to execute on offense. But I thought it's going to be an, a style of offense I enjoy. I think what you said is perfect. We're at, on the road at Ohio State playing a top 25 team incredibly well-respected in the Ken Palm ratings. And I think it's fair to say this is likely going to be a high-performing defensive team long-term. So executing on an offensive level with a brand-new system with players who this isn't natural for, it's it's fair to say we're not going to be operating on all cylinders. So it's okay if we're not blowing the roof off the gym at Ohio State game one. Stay the course. Keep perspective on what this is going to be. I'm loving what you, you said with the effort to make the right passes. We had a couple beautifully executed backdoor passes that resulted in just the easiest buckets you've seen. And I think we're going to get a lot of those this season. I mean, and, my, I, yeah, I got to watch this game with my dad. He, he came by to watch this game. And when he when he saw Sorolla feed Cumberland on that, that really pretty backdoor cut, his comment was, Oh, a backdoor cut. 
I haven't seen one of those in 13 years. That's what we're talking about. We want we wanted a new style of offense. We're getting it. Sure, it's not it's it definitely did not happen at the level we expect. We dropped 26 first half points and that felt hard. That was a hard 26. The second half grinding. Let me make one more comment about the first half, something that really jumped out at me, and I believe I instantly sent you a text message and and screamed to the basketball gods, what the hell is going on? We ran two separate possessions where the main goal of the possession was to post up Chris Vogt. I'm sorry, but when you have Jaron Cumberland, when you have Javen Cumberland, when you have Chris McNeil, Zach Harvey, Keith Williams, and the wing talent that we have, Chris Vogt's role on offense should go no further than setting picks and screens at the top of the key, rolling hard to the basket, or making really good, well-timed passes from the top of the key. We don't need to be posting up Chris Vogt. I'm sorry, that's not what his strength is. That's not where our the strength of our offense lies. That was a disappointing run for us. We ended up doing it a couple more times in the game. Chris Vogt post-ups, I hope to see no more of those the rest of the season. You hit it perfectly. There's four other options of players on the court to be able to, to throw the ball to as opposed to doing a post-up. There's nine other options out there for what you can do to get the ball to the hole. One of them should not be posting up Chris Vogt. Well, Chris uh, Vogt did some good things on the court, too. I don't yeah. want to make it like you know make it seem like he didn't make any good contributions to the game. I His think defense he did. Was He's, okay. His foul rate was a problem at Northern Kentucky. It appears that it's going to continue being a problem at Cincinnati. He's aggressive. He's physical. But he was setting good screens, and he rolled hard a couple times to the basket. Our very first points were him cutting to the hoop. And, uh, he likes and, dunking. And Jaron Cumberland finding him for a pretty easy layup. So those are the types of things I envision for Vote. I envision for Sorolla. I didn't quite understand the post-up action. It just it, it, They seem to come at critical times. Whether, where we were on a run or needing a run, and we decided to slow it down and post up Chris Vogt. And I just I can assure you that's not how we're going to become a top 25 offense in the nation, which is, which is in the long term what I kind of hope to be under John Brandon. Oh, 100%. This team should be with the talent it has. And, and it's a good point that you mentioned that we're on a run, and we decide to run an ISO play to Chris Vogt instead of running ISO play with a potential John Wooden candidate in in Jaron Cumberland you know that's that was confusing to me too is later in the game when the offense clearly isn't working I there was no ad, adjustment made until I think it was probably around the the seven the seven or six minute mark left in the in the ball game to start running a little more of a an iso type offense and you know to get some in and out movement you know, you saw Chris McNeil take it hard to the basket, be successful. You saw Jaron take it to the basket a couple times, be successful. But then we didn't see it again. It went right back to that. But yet they he decided to to run those plays back to back in in critical times. It it was baffling. So let's move on to the second half here. We've already started dipping our toe in there with the Chris Vogt post ups, but specifically for the second half. So we we enter the second half with a seven point lead. And our defense started to deteriorate. We did not have nearly the same success in the second half in terms of um, creating the same amount of chaos for Ohio State that we did in the first. Ohio State seemingly changed their game plan. I believe you made a nice observation that at the end of the game comments, Chris Holtman basically said we stopped running our set offense and instead, you know, 
they switched it up entirely, and it, and it worked. So with the Buckeyes scoring at a higher clip, the hope was that our offense would start turning it around in the second half the same way. Our offense went backwards. From first half to second half, I saw some promising actions in the first half that made me excited. Second half, it became very stagnant. The offense continued to run the same play. Ohio State seemed to know exactly how to defend it. We saw them move to a zone defense, and the team did not operate in a way that was effective against the defense Ohio State was playing. Uh, it's hard to uh, it's hard to beat an analysis like that. When, and you're 100% right. Ohio State adjusted to our offense, and we, we kept running the same thing. And that's kind of what I was talking about before, is we didn't make that switch on offense until later in the second half. And that's when we started having some more success. But then we would go into on on what would be a run and then do the do the post ups down low with Chris vote for some reason. I, I wasn't understanding it, but, you know, it, it is what it is there. Uh, defense. They gave up 45 points in the first half, but the the ultimate second half, second half the ultimate tale of this game, though, is we shot 33 percent from the field. We shot 19% from three, and we shot 60% from the free throw line. That's that's atrocious. I mean, 19% from the and, – and part of John Brandon's theory, if I'm not mistaken, being an analytical guy, is you got to shoot at least 30% from three. If what? you're looking at Ohio State, they shot 31% from three. That's not even they, a good percentage, though. I mean, our expectation, we sh we're going to need to shoot higher than 30. It's probably going to be in the 35 to 36 range that we're going to want to end up at as a team. Maybe even uh, higher. I mean, yes. But, but from an analytical standpoint, the bare minimum is 30, and we're we're at 20. We took yeah. 21 of them, and we only made four. That's Yeah, it was rough. And uh, in all honesty, in the second half, I didn't even think we were generating open looks. In terms of what was most frustrating for this from a fan perspective watching the, the offense play it wasn't generating consistent looks for the team that's kind of what I ex what I expected was we're going to come in here with some sets some actions some off-ball movement some quick passes getting guys like Javen Cumberland open looks I, it didn't happen it just didn't happen for us in this first game there was a lot of in the second half in particular a lot of isolation plays down toward the end of the shot clock a couple shot clock violations it's just not going to it's not going to get it done. So there's a lot of work to be done. John Brandon has has commented that there's they haven't completely grasped the offense at this point and that's very clear. So I definitely don't want to just be all negative about this team. I in my opinion there's several things we can really hang our hat on where there's not going to be a big defensive drop off this year. We're going to no. be a good defensive team. Um yes. for the for the challenges Chris Vote and Jay Sorolla have on the offensive end. I think defensively they could be very impactful when not fouling. Uh, they're both huge. Challenging Sorolla shots looked at, good with his vision, too. He had, yep. he had great vision. Challenging shots at the rim is going to be uh, something they can consistently do. And Keith Williams is out there disrupting. Chris McNeil's out there disrupting. John Brandon is clearly continuing to put a focus on the defensive side of the ball. So when you have a shooting night like we did tonight, we, can, we actually were in this game. We shot 33%. 19% from three, we had a chance to win this game. But Hummer, keeping this in perspective, it's a tough opponent on the road. The Buckeyes are going to be for real. We'll watch this play out. They're going to beat a lot of really good teams this year. The Bearcats kept it close. The The attitude and, and effort of the team is unquestioned at this point. 
And with Jaron Cumberland continuing to get in better shape, his stamina needs some work, folks. He's not there yet. This isn't 2018 Player of the Year Jaron Cumberland, I promise you. He's going to get better. He needs to get in better shape, and he will. Uh, we're going to be fine. The Bearcats are going to be a good good team this year. So one last thing I got to update everybody on. So let's let's go through this real quick. My boy, Trey Scott, my fighter in the Beer Mile Challenge, uh, he went 0 for 7 from the field today, finished the game with three points. So if I do my math correctly, he is now averaging three points per game this season. Keith Williams finished the game 5 for 10, shot 50% from the field, finished the game with 13 points. He is averaging 13 points per game. And uh, luckily, I have many more games for my boy Trey to catch up and pass Keith Williams as a point scorer on this team. It's looking bad for you, my friend. (laughs) I'm going to start practicing. (laughs) Hang in there, Bearcat fans. We've got a good team. This was a tough result this tonight. However, I expect many more positive results in the near future. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, I ask that you please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. Well, this one is is what it is. It is done. It is over in the uh, the words of the great Bill Belichick. On to the next. Um, our next game will be against Drake. Uh they have not played yet. They play tomorrow, their first game at 8 p.m. That'll be on ESPN Plus if anybody wants to do their advanced scouting. Uh, I'll probably watch maybe the first half. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you next week with our normal podcast on Monday. In the meantime, hang your heads high. This is going to be a good season for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Yes. Yes, it will be. Double your money and make a stack. I'm on to the next one. On to the next one. On to the next one. On to the next one.